So I, uh, yesterday afternoon when Marissa knew she was going to take off to head to New York, um, I told her that I would step in tonight, and I'm preaching on the same passage that Marissa had chosen, um, but I think this might be her title, so I'm, I'm not necessarily, Sinking Doubt is not necessarily a title that goes along with, with this sermon, but the scripture reading is the same. And again, it's a passage about the disciples in a boat on the water. Uh, thus, I talked about that a little bit at the beginning. Uh, but let me read to you our scripture reading Again, from Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. A story that probably many of you are familiar with. Immediately, he, Jesus, made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, Is it a ghost? And then they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. It's the word of God for the people of God, and God's people say, Thanks be to God. Let me invite you to bow your heads this evening and, and pray for me in sharing this message with you as I pray for you in receiving it. Let's pray together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So having lived most of my life in Florida, I've seen my fair share of hurricanes. And although it's been pretty quiet so far, we are pretty much smack dab in the middle of hurricane season, going from June 1st to, I think, the end of November. Uh, at least with hurricanes, we have a little bit of warning, right? We get to watch the radar as they approach and approach and approach, sometimes watching for a couple of weeks even. We know they're coming and we do have a choice to be able to take ourselves and perhaps some of those things that we value the most out of harm's way. But the most powerful storms come without warning, sometimes don't offer any uh, advanced warning at all. Even with radar, 
The most powerful storms are the ones that come through the devastating twists and turns in our own lives, right? One day you go to the doctor for a routine mammogram and you find out you have a malignancy. For years you think that your spouse will outlive you and then in a moment things change and you're alone and brokenhearted from the loss. One day you think your marriage is trotting along just fine and, and then the next your wife tells you that she wants a divorce. One day you think your job is secure and then you go into work that day and you come home without one. A parent dies, a child gets sick, a betrayal is discovered, an addiction is revealed. All these storms in life come without any warning. Nothing even on the radar. And like with hurricanes, it's not a question of if storms will come in our lives, because they will. They will. It's simply a question of, of when. All of us at one time or another will fall victim to suffering or loss or illness or financial difficulty. Bad things do happen to good people and rain does fall on the just and the unjust. The question for us is simply how will we respond when the storm does come? In the account that I read this evening, Jesus has just finished feeding the 5,000. 5,000 men plus women and children. That was with the two loaves and fishes, remember? And the crowds have presumably been fed and, and they've gone home for the evening. But in light of all of the healings and miracles that Jesus has been doing, he realizes that the crowds will, will follow him and, and, and will try to elevate him to um, bestow on him a certain power because of what he's done. And there's already been talk of making him king, which certainly puts on edge those who are the current reigning powers. So he compels the disciples to go out in a boat for the night. He wants them to be safe and he knows they will be safe from any harm and the authorities won't be able to get to them and then jesus himself he goes up to the mountain to pray um, again he had been trying to find some time alone he wanted some time by himself he just found out that his cousin john had been beheaded and he just wanted time to be with god and to and to pray and to be alone but the crowds begin to follow him, and then that's when the feeding happens, and then he sends the disciples out, and now finally he gets to go by himself and, and be alone to pray. And then the storm comes. The disciples are out in this boat, and the waves are tossing them about, and the wind has pushed them out to sea. They're probably two or three miles out on the Sea of Galilee, and although they are rowing as much as they can, the wind is against them. Do you ever feel like that? The waves are, are just tossing you about and, and, and then you're, you're rowing as hard as you can in your life and, and yet you just can't fight it. The wind is against you. But then early in the morning, it literally says in the fourth watch, which would be somewhere between like 3 and 6 a.m., so early in the morning, Jesus comes walking out to them on the water. Walking on the water. Now, at this point, 
most of us get a little hung up on gravity. How is it that he's walking on the water? How could Jesus walk on the water? Was it a miracle? There's this stuff about because the Sea of Galilee had this, this ledge that then drops off deep. Was he, was he walking on that ledge ankle deep in water? Was it really a miracle? But for Matthew, that's not an issue at all. Jesus can defy the laws of gravity. gravity. No, for Matthew, the issue is the power of Jesus in our lives. More than anything else, to the early church, the sea represented what was unknown, what was uncontrollable, what was chaotic. And even today, we know that we can't control the seas. We cannot control the seas. In the sea, there is this power and chaos that can't be calmed or contained. But Jesus, you know, Jesus can walk right over it. Jesus saw the disciples being, being battered by the waves, and he walks on the water out to them. He does have the power to calm the storms. He does have the ability to override the chaos, and so he shows up. But because of the storm, they aren't even sure that it's him. It, they think, oh, this might be a ghost. And then he says to them, take heart. It's, it's just me. It's me. He probably didn't say it's just me. He said, it's me. Don't be afraid. You know, they say, as I said earlier, that the disciples in the boat represent the church. And before and after this account, Jesus is out with the crowds. The crowds feeding the 5,000. The crowds after this. But, but right now, he's with the disciples. Uh, and this is a story for the church, not, not for the community, but for the church. The disciples represent those of us who are followers of Christ, and, and being together in the boat is like being together in the church as the body of Christ. We're all in this together, and when the storms come, Jesus is able to remind us that he is with us. Be encouraged. It's me. Don't be afraid. And then what happens? Peter wants to get out of the boat. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out on the water. Now, Peter gets a lot of hype for doing this. Peter is built up because he says, Lord, if it's you, let me come to you and walk on water. Many of you have probably heard sermons like, if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. Step out in faith. These sermons kind of elevate Peter. They extol him. What great faith he had that he, that he wanted to walk on water, that he was willing to risk and, and get out of the boat. Over the years, I have preached some of those sermons. If you want to get out of the boat, uh, walk, on wa walk on water. If you, if you want to walk on water, get out of the boat. Take a step of faith. I've preached those things. But you know what? In the past, whereas I've focused on those things, when I was reading this again, I saw something different. Jesus commands, Jesus, Jesus commands Peter to come. He does say come, and Peter steps out of the boat. But what happens is before Jesus commands him to come, Peter tests Jesus. He says, Lord, if it is you, then command me to come to you. Make me walk on water. In other words, enable me to do something miraculous. 
You know, it's kind of brazen if you think about it. Because Jesus didn't say, come to me. Jesus said, take heart. I'm coming to you. And then Peter tests Jesus. Jesus comes to the disciples and he tells them to take heart and not be afraid. It seems to me that Peter challenges Jesus and chooses to abandon the other disciples in the boat when it would be better to just stay in the boat. And that would be an act of faith. That would be a decision that, that Peter could make. Whereas asking Jesus to command him to come, if it's you, Jesus, command me to come, is, is really um, uh, highlighting Peter's insecurities and his need to have the focus on himself, his need for special treatment. It could be that his decision didn't consider the welfare of the whole group at all. The last thing that they needed was for one of them to be drowning in the storm, crying out to be saved. But guess what? In spite of that, in spite of Peter trying to test Jesus, in spite of Peter asking for Jesus to allow him to do this miraculous feat, in spite of Peter abandoning the rest of his crew, Jesus still invites him to come. And then Peter realizes that he's in over his head. Yet Jesus saves him. So then perhaps Jesus responding, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Is less about why his faith wavered and he began to sink and more about why his faith wavered and why he needed to get out of the boat to begin with. When the storms of life come and we vacillate back and forth between faith and doubt, between assurance and questioning, perhaps the point is we shouldn't jump ship and leave the faithful community of disciples. Instead, perhaps we should hunker down together in the boat because Jesus is coming to us. Jesus comes and implores us, take heart. And Jesus will be with us and ride out the storm. When Peter begins to doubt, Jesus did save him. But they didn't stay on the water, Jesus and Peter. No, they went and got back in the boat. Back in the boat where they could all be together. Back in the boat where the waves wouldn't batter them. Back in the boat where they could ride it out and where they could support each other as a community of faith. You know, just in the last couple of months, I've been aware of something um, even more than, than I was before. I've noticed that when the storms of life come, and they do, and they will, we tend to find each other and gravitate toward one another and realize that, you know, we're just all in this together. I look out at the congregation and, and I notice uh, two women talking together uh, after worship. Each one has recently lost a spouse and they've found each other and, and they know that they are on this journey together. I notice two young adult dads talking and encouraging one another both of them committed to their careers and yet also committed to being the kind of, of husbands and fathers who are present and active with their families. 
and, and perhaps in ways that their own fathers were not. I noticed two women sitting together and talking with each other, and, and I am aware that both of them have adult sons who are battling addiction. I noticed three couples standing together after worship, and, and all of them are kind of recent empty nesters and are experiencing that sense of transition and, and, and emptiness, and yet also the joy of newfound freedom. Every Sunday evening, Steve and I meet with our little tribe, I'll call it. Um, it's our life group, five couples, and we meet in one of our homes every Sunday evening. We meet for a couple of hours and we share a meal together and we do a study together and we pray together. Basically, we hang out in the boat, rowing through life together. And the storms will come and the winds will blow and we'll get stuck in some downpours, but we'll get stuck in it together with Jesus right in the midst of us. Who are your Trinity people? Who are your Trinity people? And are you committed to meet together with them? This Sunday and, and then next Wednesday, we'll be having our fall kickoff, and, and it's an opportunity for you to learn more about different ways that you can get plugged in. And first and foremost, what I want for you my encouragement for you is to become a, fall, a part of a small group, um, a small group or a class. Uh, we've got them on Sunday mornings. We, we have life groups that are at different times, other small groups that meet throughout the week. And I invite you to become a part of one of those if you are not already. The storms of life will come. And maybe we're not called to get out of the boat. That was Peter's test to Jesus. Only after he tested Jesus did Jesus say, okay, come on then, come on then. But, but maybe we're supposed to be in the boat, trusting that Jesus is with us in the boat and, and that we will know that God is with us in the boat and is with us um, and is made real in the community of faith that is in that boat with us as we ride out the storms together. Because that's what we do. When the winds howl and the rain beats down, we take heart because God is with us and God is for us and we are for each other. Thanks be to God. There's a song that uh, I learned a long time ago. I sang it in one of the times of the storms of my life when, when my son was in the NICU for 10 weeks and I was going to and from the hospital every day. And this is a, a song by Billy Crockett. Uh, and it's a comforting song to me, a chorus for me to, to sing to myself. Um, 
God is for us, who can be against us? God is for us, we are not alone. God is for us, we are for each other. Alleluia, God is for us. Sing it with me. God is for us, who can be against us? God is for us, we are not alone. God is for us, we are for each other. Alleluia, God is for us.